Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the January 9th meeting of the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is Susan Giffen, and I will be your moderator for today. And of course, as always, when we begin our Thursday sessions, we have a few um, housekeeping things that need to be said and done. So first of all, make sure your cell phones are turned off. And remember that your lunch money goes in the basket on the table. And if someone at each table could be in charge of multiplying by however many are there, by 11 and getting the right amount, someone will come and pick it up. SACPA is a volunteer organization, nonprofit, and relies on the contributions of members and session attendees to continue its work. Memberships are available from Lisa, who is actually Annalise, and she sits here in the corner and will gladly take your membership money. We'd like to thank our partners, the U of L, who helps us with distribution, Country Kitchen's Catering for the lunches, Shaw TV for broadcasting sessions on Sundays at 4.30 p.m., CKXU 88.3 FM, Radio Live and the Lethbridge Herald, and as well any other media that comes to um, see what we're about. The meeting today will be about a 25-minute presentation from Amy, and then we'll break for lunch, and then after that there is a question period that will start around 1, and we will finish at 1.30. So at this time then, I would like to introduce Amy von Heiking. Now, Amy is an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Lethbridge. She teaches courses in social studies education and curriculum studies. She is the author of Creating Citizens, Citizenship and Identity in Alberta Schools, 2006, and Becoming a History Teacher, 2014. Her research interests include the history of schooling and religious schooling and citizenship education. And Amy is going to address the issues of Christian prayers in Alberta's public schools. Please welcome Amy Van Heiken.
So before I launch into my comments about religious exercises specifically, but religion broadly in public schools, I want to make it clear that I'm an historian. So much of what I'm going to address today is historical background and an explanation of the uh, Alberta's unique situation with regard to religious exercises and religious education in public schools. I'm also an educational researcher and a teacher educator. So I want to make it clear that while understanding the legal framework and historical background for religion in public schools is essential, in the end, educators have to make reasonable judgments in the best interests of their students in their local contexts. And that's a complex and often very challenging task made more difficult by overheated rhetoric, by debate that is often ideological and polemical, rather than open-minded and informed. So I'm hoping that my comments and our conversation today will assist in, in raising issues and informing uh, the public conversation that we have about religion in schools. Often when public debates about religion in schools arise, stories about prayer in schools, what people are actually asking when they grapple with the issue are questions like these. You know, what do we mean by a public school? Aren't public schools secular? Isn't religion a matter of personal or private uh, belief? To what extent should public schools teach about religion or for religious commitment or permit religious expression? Each is a slightly different question that implies a different goal for schools. And ultimately, to what extent is religious education consistent with education for citizenship in a liberal pluralist democracy that is, after all, the responsibility of public schools? So, to some extent, I'll address all of these today, but within the context of thinking broadly about religion in schools. Um, and we might as well start with religious exercises. It is the news story in this local area that I think provoked my invitation to speak to this group today. In November 2013, the Horizon School District received a request from a parent whose children attend Dr. Hammond Elementary School in Tabor to cease the practice of playing the Lord's Prayer over the intercom at the beginning of the school day. And the board is now in the process of considering a policy that will address religious exercises in their schools. To many casual observers of the news, uh, the surprise here was probably that any public school in Canada continues the practice of reciting the Lord's Prayer. Um, it certainly comes as a surprise to many of the student teachers that I work with at the university, particularly if they come from large urban centers or, um, or other parts of Canada. Thank you very much. Many of those students uh, actually think it's illegal. Uh, so perhaps I'll deal with this situation first. What is the law regarding religious exercises in Alberta schools? Beginning with the big picture, any legal or policy discussion about religion in public schools must be undertaken within the framework of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And of course, the Charter has several elements relevant to religion in classrooms, which have been drawn upon in the case law. Uh, the first, of course, is the guarantee the fundamental freedom of re freedom of conscience and religion, meaning that Canadians are free to practice religion or not to practice religion, free to establish organizations, groups, and communities with or without religious content. Section 15, the section on equality rights, is also relevant, guaranteeing everyone uh, equal protection and equal benefit of the law without discrimination with regard to, to religion. 
And in some of the relevant uh, cases, they've also drawn on Section 27 on multiculturalism, which uh, is essentially a recognition of and commitment to pluralism. So indeed, most provinces in Canada have eliminated religious exercises in schools, like the recitation of the Lord's Prayer or the re reading of religious texts, because of challenges based on the Charter. The key legal case here uh, dates from 1988 in Ontario, Zilberberg versus the Sudbury Board of Education. In 1988, every school in the Sudbury Board of Education opened its day with the singing of O Canada and the recitation of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there, were, there was an opportunity or um, the provision that students could be excluded if their parents wished. Uh, and the, this regulation or custom was uh, authorized under the Ontario Education Act. But the question the Ontario Court of Appeal answered was, do these practices infringe the right to freedom of religion as guaranteed by the Charter? And the answer was yes, that they did. Uh, the court decided that reciting the Lord's Prayer, which is a Christian prayer, um, imposes Christian observance upon non-Christian pupils, uh, that students could be exempt. Um, they did not feel was appropriate because the provision for exemption imposes a compulsion to conform to the practices of the majority. The peer pressure and classroom norms to which children are acutely sensitive uh, are real and pervasive. They operate to compel members of religious minorities to conform with the majority. And indeed, they also pointed to Section 27 and its commitment to recognizing pluralism. British Columbia quickly followed suit. There was another case in British Columbia, and in reaction to that case, their school act was amended to remove statements that had made it mandatory to recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so the BC School Act now reads that all public schools shall be conducted on strictly secular and non-sectarian principles. No religious dogma or creed shall be taught. And I, have me I mention this because we're going to come back to what the court has actually, uh, how the court has defined secular in this context. But while most provinces have eliminated the possibility of religious exercises that reflect any one particular religious tradition, Alberta and Saskatchewan are unique in their uh, constitutional framework. While the provinces have the same constitutional rights, privileges, and responsibility as other provinces, their entry to confederate, into confederation um, came under very specific circumstances that included uh, an acknowledgement of uh, the use of prayer in schools. So under Section 17 of the Alberta Act, there is a reference to the 1901 Northwest Territories School Ordinance, which specifically says it shall be permissible for the board of any district to direct that the school be opened by the recitation of the Lord's Prayer. And it goes on to provide for an exemption clause. So according to the Alberta Civil Liberties Research Center, the inclusion of Section 137 appears to make prayer in Alberta public schools a constitutionally protected right. And we should, I, I should emphasize that it's a, a right that has never been explicitly or specifically tested in the courts. But our Provincial School Act certainly acknowledges this right by stating in Section 50 that a board may prescribe religious instruction and may prescribe religious exercises, and again providing for an exception for those students uh, whose parents do not wish them to participate. What's important here is to note the use of the word may. It's interesting that historically, while other provinces like Ontario and British Columbia compelled schools to have religious exercises, in Alberta this has always been done at the discretion of local school boards. 
And I find this particularly interesting given the political regimes that have typically dominated politics in this province and the fact that we've had premiers with very explicit and well-recognized religious views. So recently I, I looked specifically at the views of William Aberhart and Ernest Manning on the issue of prayer and religious instruction in public schools. One might expect premiers well known for their religious um, commitments and with second jobs as radio evangelists uh, to promote religious education in public schools. And indeed the listeners of the uh, Back to the Bible Hour often wrote to these premiers asking for Bible instruction and for religious exercises in schools. But Eberhard and Manning were consistent in, uh, in saying no, actually. Uh, what they did argue is that the government should not assume the authority of God and that schools should be responsive to and reflective of their local communities. So, for example, in response to a request from a woman from Dubury, Alberta, who had asked him to impose compulsory Bible instruction and religious services in schools, Eberhard replied, Surely you do not feel that compulsion in the matter of reading the Bible or taking up religious services in the school is right at any time. According to the School Act, this school board can arrange for whatever religious exercises they feel should be in the school. The Christian people of the community should be interested in the election of these trustees. If the majority of the people in any district desire Bible reading or religious services, it's their privilege to have the same. So Aberhart's and Manning's in their correspondence, and that was largely what I looked at, um, in their correspondence as premiers, uh, always emphasized the personal and voluntary nature of faith commitment, and they expressed an aversion uh, to government interference in religious matters, particularly with regard to the public schools. So in Alberta, by consistently affirming the responsibility of local school boards for religious exercises and religious education, the School Act ensures that public schools reflect and accommodate the religious views, identity, and indeed diversity of our communities. School boards across the province have crafted their own policies around religious exercises with due regard for current human rights legislation and the changing identities of the citizens in their communities. So for example, Calgary uh, Board of Education policy on religion in education allows students personal religious expressions allows schools to celebrate um, religious holidays. For example, a Christmas concert could happen in a Calgary public school. It requires that principals, quote, make reasonable efforts to acknowledge major religious holidays observed by the school community and directs the principals to a multi-faith calendar to help in this regard. But it also makes it clear that, quote, religious activities which constitute public acts of worship and or the propagation of dogma are not permissible within an instructional context. And as a side note, it'll, again, it'll come up a bit later, Calgary School Board is one school board that has refused uh, to offer religious alternative programs within their district. On the other hand, Palliser Regional School's administrative procedure says, where reasonable, religious and patriotic instruction will respect individual and cultural needs of students in the communities where they reside so that schools may commence school days with the reciting of the Lord's Prayer. It actually establishes the protocol that principals must follow in consulting their parent community um, and must provide, of course, exemption opportunities. Information for parents must always be supplied. So um, sociologist Kurt Bowne, he's a sociologist of religion, and he says, quote, that there's, no, there, there's little or no place for religion in Canada's public educational system, end quote. 
So we already know that that's not true within the context of religious exercises, at least in the schools of Alberta and Saskatchewan. But it's also important to note that schools across Canada may all educate about religion. In other words, educate students in an academic and neutral fashion. So it's hard to imagine any teacher teaching about events in Canadian history without saying something about the role of Roman Catholicism in the exploration and settlement of New France, for example. But what the courts have done, even um, with it, in terms of providing some guideline for how to educate about religion, is to clarify the distinction between what they call indoctrination and education. So certainly schools across Canada can sponsor the study of religion, but not the practice of religion. They can expose students to all religious views, but not impose any particular view. They can take an instructional role rather than indoctrinating students. They can educate about religion, all religions, but not convert students to a religion. They take an academic, not devotional response or stance. That the school should study what all people believe, but not teach a student what to believe. Uh, the school should strive for student awareness of all religions, but not press for student acceptance. And that schools should inform the student about various beliefs, but not seek to conform them to any one belief. So certainly, even in schools uh, across Canada where there are no, are no religious exercises, there are guidelines that the courts have provided in terms of education about religion. In this regard, though, um, again, Alberta is kind of interesting, and in not, this case, not because of what they provide, but what they don't provide. Sorry. In fact, it has to be acknowledged that our curriculum actually offers very few opportunities for students in our public schools to learn about religion, at least in a sustained or in-depth way. There are optional high school courses in world religions and religious ethics, um, in optional courses in language and culture, of course, teachers may deal with religion so that a course in Japanese, for example, might include content about Shintoism and Buddhism. But in terms of required courses that all Alberta students would take, there is actually very little in our program or only as much as a teacher would choose to pursue. My area is social studies. And I can't imagine teaching the grade 8 section about Renaissance worldview without some in-depth teaching about religious belief and practice in that era. I can't imagine teaching the grade 10 curriculum, which is focused around global issues and globalization, without attending to information about the impact of religion on those global events. But how much attention might be given to religion and the, the nature of that attention would be very dependent on the teacher, on her knowledge, her background, probably her confidence. Of course, any teacher could embed teaching about religion and religious diversity into the curriculum so that an English teacher, for example, might choose a particular novel or play because of the insights it provides into religious worldviews, but I would guess that most would not do that. Um, the reality is that if there were more opportunities in the curriculum for teachers to teach about religion, then educators could provide examples to broaden students' perspectives on the nature, purpose, and impact of religious traditions on art, politics, history, music, literature, and so on. Uh, I mean, social and political movements frequently have roots in religious uh, and teaching, but that's not something that's particularly explicit, shall we say, in our curriculum. An awareness and understanding of the role of religious belief in human life would help students understand contemporary social issues and world events 
So the lack of opportunity to learn about religion in a sustained way or in-depth way is certainly unfortunate. Now, one reason that teachers certainly would avoid teaching about religion is that they actually don't have much preparation or support or resources to do that. Uh, in contrast to other ministries, the Alberta education actually offers very little in terms of not just curricular support, but even resources and, and instructional support for teachers who might face questions about religion in their classroom. Teacher education programs like ours don't require anything in the way of religious studies from students in the program. And certainly school districts would rarely provide professional learning opportunities for teachers about religion. I mean, they have no shortage of other things that they need to deal with. But knowing about religion would seem to be important since teachers and principals are the ones who are asked to make judgments when they're asked to remove a book from a school library or provide space for prayer in their school building or prevent their students from having access to computers or excusing students from units and dance and phys ed or civics and social studies. I mean, all of these things come up relatively regularly in classrooms across Alberta. And we also have to acknowledge the potentially chilling effect of Section 11.1 of the Alberta Human Rights Act, which came into effect in September 2010. This section of the Act requires boards to provide parents with notice where courses of study, educational programs or instructional materials, or instruction or exercises include subject matter that deals primarily and explicitly with religion, human sexuality, or sexual orientation. Now, putting aside for a moment that they put these three topics into one category, um, it, this is problematic and certainly wouldn't encourage a teacher uh, to take on a unit of study that is primarily and explicitly about religion, even within the context of, say, art or English or social studies. The requirements of the Act say that in incidental or indirect references don't need to be, uh, teachers don't need to worry about informing parents or if there's a classroom discussion that happens spontaneously, as they typically do, uh, teachers shouldn't worry about informing parents, but the reality is they do. <laughs> and they worry about the phone calls that they're going to get. So the heightened concern that this has brought, I, I would argue, has had a real chilling effect on many teachers who may wish to inform their students but worry about the consequences of that. When it comes to education for religion, for commitment to a particular religious faith, legislation varies across Canada. Um, it isn't possible in most provinces, to be blunt. But again, Alberta is unique in offering a wide array of opportunities for religious instruction, arguably more than any other public school jurisdiction in North America. Now, part of that is because Section 93 of the British North America Act in laying down the constitutional framework for public education gave provinces the right to legislate regarding education and specifically protected the right of denominational minorities as they existed at the time of entry into confederation. So this is, of course, why Ontario, Alberta, and Saskatchewan have fully publicly funded Roman Catholic, usually separate, school systems. So in Alberta, that system educates about 24% of our student population and we have now, I would say, over a century of experience with a religiously-based education system that educates students for participation in a pluralist democracy. In Alberta, parents, of course, also have the option of sending their children to an accredited private school, 
um, and some of, some of those are uh, grounded in a, in a specific religious worldview. Accredited private schools are eligible for up to 70% of the per-pupil instructional grant available to public schools. Um, they educate about 4% of the student population in Alberta. The ones that would have a religious focus and primarily a Protestant, um, a Christ Christian orientation, are about 2% of all uh, students in schools in Alberta. Uh, and these would include schools like Emmanuel Christian in Lethbridge or the Edmonton Islamic Academy, which has an enrollment of about 700 students. As an aside, I just want to mention charter schools because we often think that they offer a faith-based alternative as well, and, and they don't. Uh, charter schools were introduced in 1994, uh, and they're intended to be sort of what we used to call laboratory schools, uh, that they operate with a particular philosophy or it, through a kind of ex educational experiment that the public schools broadly will be able to learn from. But the School Act actually states very clearly that a charter school shall, shall not be affiliated with a religious faith or denomination. So the schools in the public system that do have a faith orientation operate under Section 21 of the Alberta School Act, which gives school boards the authority to establish alternative educational programs that emphasize a particular language, culture, religion, or subject matter, or that embody a particular teaching philosophy. So boards across the province have used this authority to establish bilingual programs, uh, to run single-gender schools, arts-based programs, a science school, lots of sports academies operate under this uh, clause. N not all school boards in the province have opted to offer religious education alternatives, Calgary Public among those, but in 2013, there were about 45 faith-based schools or programs within schools uh, in 15 public school district, districts educating about 8,000 Alberta students, so about 1.5% of our student population. Most of these are non-denominational Christian programs, like the Logos programs uh, in some schools, or like Lethbridge Christian School here in uh, the public district. But there's also a Jewish program in Edmonton, uh, there are Muslim schools, both in Fort McMurray and Edmonton. There are schools grounded in Aboriginal spirituality. So, so all of these are fully publicly funded religious alternatives for families that want an education consistent with their religious faith. So it is important to acknowledge that we actually offer a whole range of alternatives for people to educate for religious commitment within a framework that requires those schools to prepare students with the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that they'll need to be responsible citizens in a pluralist democracy. Now, does that mean that other schools don't have to make accommodation for students' religious beliefs? The answer is no. School boards make accommodation for specific religious communities. They can and should respect and consider parents and students' religious commitments when they make policy decisions regarding um, or <coughs> the school setting. So going back to the Supreme Court's understanding of the meaning of the word secular in the British Columbia School Act, in Chamberlain uh, versus Surrey School District 2002, the court was clear in their decision that the act's insistence on strict secularism does not mean that religious concerns have no place in the deliberations and decisions of the board. In fact, they go on to say clearly religion is an integral aspect of people's lives and cannot be left at the boardroom door or presumably at the schoolroom door. So the court was clear that secular does not mean non-religious. It is pluralist. It is inclusive of religion. 
So that, I mean, we certainly have seen very inclusive practices in school boards in Alberta. Many school boards offer uh, schools, for example, on Hutterite colonies, Palliser Regional has specific programs for their low German Mennonite community. But all school boards acknowledge and reasonably accommodate the diverse cultural and religious communities that are in their public schools. So that means that they need to be mindful of that diversity when they plan school celebrations or when they're asked to adapt curriculum. What guidelines do they have? Well, they have, through human rights legislation, uh, the mandate to maintain an environment free of discrimination so that all students can participate without encountering intolerance or discrimination. The School Act tells them that they must offer instruction or use instructional materials that reflect the diverse nature and heritage of our society and promote understanding and respect for all. The School Act, school Act mandate for schools says that they are to prepare, to prepare engaged thinkers and ethical citizens. And it says very specifically that an ethical citizen engages with many cultures, religions, and languages, values diversity, demonstrates respect, empathy, and compassion. So presumably schools also have to model what this looks like in their daily practice. According to the ATA's own Code of Professional Conduct, Teachers in our public schools must teach in a manner that respects the dignity and rights of all persons without prejudice. And finally, education is about collaboration and about good relationships and good communication between school and home. The Guide to Education says clearly that parents are the first and ongoing educators of their children. Our School Act says that parents have a right and responsibility to make decisions respecting the education of their children. So schools don't have to protect children from their parents or their views. They need to work with parents in creating the best educational program for their children. So I just want to conclude with sort of four important principles that schools need to consider that educators, I think, do take into consideration as they are on the ground floor working with accommodating religious views in their classrooms and instructing students about or for uh, religious commitment. Schools teach the whole child and religion is part of that. Religion is fundamental to identity. We can't ask a child to leave his or her religious identity outside the classroom door any more than their gender or language or ethnicity. Schools promote critical thinking. So there is no place for indoctrination of any kind in schools. Religious education, like all other, must be open-minded in its approach and cultivate students' critical thinking. To ban discussions and expressions of religion in schools is closed-minded and is contrary to the development of an inquisitive, caring, and critical mind. Schools need to advance equality. They're in a unique position to model civil and responsible religious discussion and expression. In my research at a public alternative Christian program, the principal stressed that his staff didn't want the school to be a holy huddle, a faith-based place of refuge from others who think and believe differently. Mm -hmm. But the same is true of any public school. It shouldn't, for lack of a better description, be an unholy huddle. It should be challenging stereotypes that may prevail about religious communities and address ignorance about religion. Schools have an opportunity to model respectful discussion, promote tolerance and compromise, so that students will see how and be able to live with those who live differently. So if our teachers and our schools can't model universal principles of respect and consideration with regard to religious expression, 
how do we expect students to take their place in a multicultural, religiously diverse community that respects all, regardless of belief? So in the end, public schools need to contribute to an understanding, to constructive dialogue, to active and informed citizenship in a multicultural and multi-faith community. We need literate citizens. They need to be literate in math. They need to be, they need to be literate uh, in terms of their civic duty. But they also need a religious literacy to be able to not just survive, but help us thrive as a multicultural society. So there are very good educational reasons to make sure that religion continues uh, to be accommodated within the context of our public schools. Thank you very much.